Hello, and welcome to ADHD Essentials, part of the ADHD Rewired Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brendan Mahan. I'm a former teacher and mental health clinician turned ADHD coach, trainer, and consultant. I can be reached at brendan at adhdessentials.com. Here at ADHD Essentials, we help families develop the skills and knowledge needed to better manage attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Visit ADHDessentials.com for more details. What's up, team? ADHD Diversified with MJ Siemens has launched, and I will be posting that first episode tomorrow so you can check it out. But first, I want to share a big thank you to Jeffrey Gordon of Ideal Video Strategies for his help in editing this episode of the ADHD Essentials Podcast. In today's episode, we're talking to my old friend, Mrs. Melissa, an 8th grade English teacher. Melissa talks to us about the effects the COVID pandemic is having on schools. We discuss the way it has changed school pacing, the heightened importance of technology and technology instruction, the positive changes she's seeing, the areas of struggle for her students, the politics of education during a pandemic, and why we should take time for ourselves. All right, let's get rolling. My name is Melissa, and I am an eighth grade middle school English teacher. I really brought you on because I want to know what it's like in schools during COVID, and that's your deal. <laughs> so what's it going on? What, how's it looking for you? Um, so uh, the district where I teach, we've been fully remote from, since the start of the school year. Actually, I should back up. We started at 25% in-person learning and after three weeks went fully remote. And so I personally have been teaching fully remote since the start of the school year. It's a challenge. It's a, it's a lot of work uh, every single day. You must be having to not relearn the curriculum, but relearn how to execute the curriculum. I'm guessing how much of it, how much of what you used to do in the classroom can translate over to virtual teaching? Not a lot of it. Um, I feel like a first year teacher and I've been teaching for well over 10 years. I feel like I'm in my first year again. You know, I, I don't have a copy of the novels that we read for every single kid. So because of that, I have to find online resources, online texts, and it's a lot of screen time for the kids too, which is something that we have to be mindful of. So we don't assign homework. It's kind of like everything that's done is done during the day. And that can really, it can be tricky because my planning, my pacing, how much is too much to give them, how much, you know, I want to make sure that I'm giving them lessons that are meaningful and that are sticking to the curriculum guidelines. But at the same time, being able to find online resources to do that is hunting and gathering, a lot of that. I'm curious about the pacing as a, as a guy who's homeschooling his kids and hoping he's pacing things well enough. I can't imagine that things are moving as quickly as they would in a school year where everyone's in the classroom. No, they're not. And unfortunately, I will say that uh, my district thinks they should be. <laughs> um, we, we've been given a revised curriculum map and um, the revised curriculum map is basically the same curriculum map with maybe a little bit of wiggle room, but really not much. So for example, I should have been through two units of study at this point. I just started my second unit of study when we came back from Christmas break. Because one of the challenges is that because everything's online, 
we have to teach all the kids how to use all of these new programs and all of these new websites that we're pushing out. We're learning them ourselves. And then we're having to teach the kids how to use those websites and how to use the different, you know, jam boards and Google slides and things like that, that they hadn't used on an everyday basis in the class. So there's a lot of tech teaching that's going on in addition to, you know, actual ELA curriculum. So as far as the pacing goes, uh, it's a lot slower. Yeah, but they're also getting, it sounds like a lot of technical skills that they otherwise might not have gotten. Right, absolutely. And I think that's a real positive that's come from this, definitely. It's just challenging too sometimes to be learning it myself and then trying to teach them virtually how to um, execute it themselves. And all of the students have Chromebooks, but I'm working on a Mac. So I'm like, oh, how do you do that on a Chromebook? I um, have to do a quick Google search and then figure it out. And you know, some of the students are really resourceful and like some of them didn't know how to do a split screen on a Chromebook. And someone found a TikTok video that they shared with the class on how to do a split screen on a Chromebook. So nice. my tech savvy kids have been huge help. My guys are making a movie at the moment. And I, I say that kind of loosely because we're just figuring out how to make the movie. Their assignment is to make a bad shark movie using Legos <laughs> because they love bad shark movies and it's teaching pacing and story and writing and all that kind of stuff. Right. Sure. And also the tech skills on how to make a movie and use a green screen and edit and all that kind of fun stuff. I'm going from a Mac to an iPad and finding that the iMovie interface is very, very different, let alone going from a Mac to a Chromebook. Challenging, especially for the kids who really, you know, this is the first time they've had um, a computer, you know, so they are trying to figure out how do I take a screenshot, like little things like that, that you don't think of. And all of a sudden, my whole lesson for the day is I need to rewind it and teach them how to do the tech skill before I can get them to do the ELA skill or the ELA part of the lesson. Now I'm going in two different directions. You've got me splitting my thoughts. So I'm going to, I'm going to tell you what both of them are and then I'll pick one and we'll stay with that one. And hopefully I remember to circle back to the other, which is literally why I'm going to say both of them is to help me remember. There's sort of two thoughts going through my head. One is I'm wondering how all of this tech stuff is potentially going to change your teaching when kids are back in school, because hopefully September that happens. So I'm curious to know, do you think this is going to influence that? And my other thought that I'm having now is you mentioned that some of these kids, this is their first time having a computer, and that sends me down the socioeconomic road and how we're looking at pretty significantly different experiences between the kids who are wealthy, middle class, and living in poverty and all of the stuff in between that. So I want to go in both of those directions, but I think I'll start with how does this change your classroom and your teaching for next year when kids are hopefully in person? I'd like to think that it's going to change it for the positive. When we were in the building, every kid did not have access to a computer or a laptop in the classroom. Like the floor that I worked on, we had three computer carts that were shared across 10 classrooms. So if I wanted them to type an essay, I needed to make sure I planned it in, in advance and then also made sure I signed out those carts so they were available for the days that I needed them. So they really didn't have access to tech for research purposes or writing purposes or creative purposes unless um, a lot of thought and planning went into it. And even then they were spread thin. So I think by having them all have access to the technology now, that's going to be useful moving forward, especially with 
we use Google Drive and Google Docs and everything is all saved there. So I don't have to worry about somebody leaving their essay at home or leaving their essay in their locker because it's all on the laptop. And I can jump into your other question is that um, the district provided Chromebooks for all the students. So before the school year started, every student was issued a school Chromebook. I think that's really helpful as far as the kids who didn't have access to that type of technology in their home, now they do. And potentially next year, you don't need the laptop carts because every kid's got a Chromebook, I would think. Exactly. Yeah. When we first went remote last March, when the pandemic started, it was a real scramble to get the laptops into the hands of the students who didn't have any technology at home so that they could keep current with their lessons and assignments. And again, it was taking those three carts and figuring out who doesn't have access to one, who can share one with a brother or sister. I think that part of it will be removed now that each student is issued a Chromebook, which is a really positive thing as well. Do you imagine that your teaching will be more web-based, I guess? Like, will there just be more work with Google Slides and, and, and Google Drive and that kind of stuff just in the classroom? I'd like to personally think that um, it'll be split. Like as an English teacher, I like having a book in my hand. I like the students having a book in their hand. I don't, I don't like personally reading on a screen. I know a lot of them do, and they've grown up doing that. I'd like to think it is split. I do like the benefit of having the Chromebooks in the classroom so that there can be more, you know, web quests and different activities that they could do either through Google slide or research based. So I like the idea of having it there and the convenience of it, but I'd like to also think that my curriculum won't just solely go in that direction. Maybe that's the old school in me. (laughs) No, I think that's fine. Homeschooling, I've been doing some tech with the boys, like they've done Google Slides and we have shared drives and all this kind of stuff, but they just do it better when I print out the piece of paper and they write it on the piece of paper. It just goes more smoothly. They've got, they have like a documentary worksheet that they have to fill in where I'm like, watch a documentary, tell me 10 things that you learned in the documentary that you liked about the documentary, that kind of stuff, just so that I can get some proof that they watched it because running a business and homeschooling. I need time when I can meet with clients, run coaching groups, record a podcast episode, and I need them to be doing something worthwhile during that time. So I have some worksheets and things that I just are in a Google doc. But if I don't print them out half the time, I come back upstairs and they're like, oh, we were supposed to fill in that worksheet on the Google (laughs) drive. Oops. But if they have it in front of them, it's there and they just do it as they go. So there is something to be said for that. So with handouts, Love the idea of the handouts going digital because it's not like, can I get another copy of that? I lost that. I think it's in my locker. But with certain hand or certain handouts, yeah, I think they're it's too difficult to make them online or virtual. Um, I just think with some certain things, I agree. You need to have the paper in front of you so you can see and not miss out on certain questions. Or you know, I think sometimes people gloss over when they're looking at a screen after a while. Yeah. Having worked with enough ADHD kids, the number one strategy I gave to them when they were working on their iPads was whatever you're doing, print out the instruction page, the rubric, the scoring guide, the stuff that is telling you what you need to do, get that on paper and get it in front of you and then work on the iPad, Chromebook, whatever to do the thing because they kept getting overwhelmed trying to slide back and forth between I'm using this screen to do the thing and then some other open tab or something to find out what I need to do. 
uh, my stepson has ADHD and I find the same thing when I'm trying to work with him and get through lessons. The amount of clicking and scrolling that goes on when he's trying to find something is overwhelming to me. And so I can't imagine how he feels, how overwhelmed he feels when he's trying to locate things. So I think that's a really good strategy. Another thing I've noticed is when they're sort of sliding their fingers back and forth on the iPad Chromebook, they do it really fast. And the rapidity and speed of that inches their anxiety up and up and up. And it's just the physical movement of sliding your finger across the screen. I need to find the thing. And all of a sudden they're ready to explode after three or four minutes of zipping around inside the different documents that they need to play with, which honestly brings me back to the socioeconomic component because it's great that kids have Chromebooks. Here I am saying you should have a piece of paper that is giving you the instructions. It's giving you the, the grading criteria for the assignment. But if you're living in poverty and you don't have a printer, how do you get that piece of paper? How do you print that thing out? How are you seeing it play out with your students with regard to just the resources they have available to them? Actually, my school was really good with this because we put together kind of like bundles for students. So, I mean, obviously not printers and printer paper and stuff like that, but, you know, a little kind of care package with notebooks and journals and pencils and, you know, for math rulers and graphing paper. So things that they might not have at home that they could use to help them with their lessons. But things like that are a challenge. And another challenge we ran into as well was um, internet. Not every student had internet at home. So this district was really good about providing wireless hotspots for families in need. And actually Comcast reached out and worked with some families to help them out a bit as far as getting kind of a discounted internet plan so they could have their online schooling. That's great to hear. Mm -hmm. I can't, I'm not doing my job if I don't go to the social, emotional stuff. That's all right. How are your kids doing? And, and how does that another, that's another socioeconomic thing, right? There's kids who have parents that are around because the mom and dad have a job they can do from home. There's kids who have mom and dad who are going off to work every day and kids are stuck at home with no support potentially. What are you seeing in, with regard to that stuff? Uh, a lot. As you said, um, I have students who, again, are home and they're home with their siblings and mom and dad are there. I have students who are going to family members' houses, so there's someone to watch them. I also have students who are in eighth grade, the oldest one helping their younger ones with their online school because no one else is home. So, you know, frequently in the chat, I'll get a message. I'll be right back. I have to help my brother or sister with their Zoom or they're having trouble with their math work. I'll be right back. So they're learning is being interrupted because they're trying to help out and take care of younger siblings. I've even had students, you know, that when they turn on their screen, they have like they're holding a baby brother or sister. It's definitely a challenge. And, you know, from the teaching perspective, you know, I said we don't give homework or anything like that, but we have been doing, we have certain things in place to try to help the students be as successful as possible. Like our homeroom period is a time to get caught up on any work they didn't finish from the day before. So the hope is, is that they're finding some time to do their work. I would say on average, though, as far as my students go, I only maybe one student per class period a day is absent. But the other part of it is I might have two or three that are not responsive at all during the class. Like they're not engaged in the chat. They're not completing any of the assignments that I can see. Some of them are just kind of like zoned out. They've, they've clicked, they've logged into Zoom and then that's it. What do you do with that? 
<laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> um, so, I mean, from the administrative perspe perspective, you know, I'll email the office, so-and-so is not responsive today, can you check in on them? We have a program, um, I'm sure other districts are using it, called Bloxy. So it's an add-on on all the Chromebooks. When the students are using their school-issued Chromebook and they're in my class, when I use this website, I can see what they're doing on their screen. So I can see if they're actually doing their ELA work or if they're like searching the web for new sneakers, you know? So I can send them a message through that add-on, Bloxy, and it'll pop up on their screen. And so it's almost like a, hey, what are you doing? You should be doing this. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty like, it's kind of big brother-ish, but uh, <laughs> it, it usually gets them back on track. But what's really helpful too is using the Google Slides and the Google Docs. When I assign one to everyone, I can jump into their documents so I can see how little or how much they've done. I can give them feedback. I can redirect them. So getting back to your original question, how do you get a kid who's unresponsive to jump back in? Sometimes all it takes is to let the office know and the office calls the house and says, Johnny isn't in class. And next thing you know, here comes Johnny into Zoom, you know, but um we have things in place. My school, I think, is a little bit better off than other schools in the district, though. And also something that I've been championing for since March is that we are living through a global pandemic. This is a global trauma event. And sometimes you need to just not go to school because you're overwhelmed. You're tapped. It's more than you can handle. You're 13, 14 years old. And this is so much bigger than you you're scared. You're, you're just not, you can't do school today, but we don't want that to become or tomorrow or the day after or the day after that. Right. But sometimes kids do need it. They need a day. Like my guys needed a day yesterday and they got it. So how, how much monitoring of the kids emotional well-being and sort of mental health is the school able to do and is even the job of the school, I suppose. Well, I will say that um, for one of the students' allied arts classes that go along with their music and their art class, like tech ed and stuff like that, we have a social emotional learning class that the students take part in this year. So that's kind of been added to the curriculum that they're learning. We have a teacher who's teaching that. So that's, I think, one way that we've been going about doing it, something that's really positive. Other than that, I, I will say my school is pretty strict as far as those types of things go. So the kids aren't given much wiggle room. They're online 7.20 to 2.15 every single day. It's a normal school day. And when, I, when you say we're going through a global pandemic and we have to take a step back and recognize that, I'm with you 100%. And this has definitely been brought up to the administration and it's just kind of fallen on deaf ears. And I, I don't think it's because they don't care. If I had to guess, I would think it's because they want some sort of normalcy for the kids, which I can understand. But at the same time, being glued to a screen from 7.20 to 2.15 every day is also not normal, not for a 13 or 14 year old, not for any kid of a school age. And if I can say stuff that you probably aren't comfortable saying, there's a whole lot of layers to why a school might be like, nah, you're, we're doing a full school day, too bad. Some of which is wanting to keep that structure. Some of which is political. If we don't provide the service that we're supposed to provide, then we might lose funding. We might have 50% of the parents or 10% of the parents or whatever turn against us for not doing enough. 
Whereas the teachers, the parents who think that like this is too much are less likely to be vocal about it. They're more likely to kind of grumble quietly. But if you're not doing enough, as far as parents are concerned, those are the ones that are going to be really loud and it's going to make things even that much more difficult as time goes by. So there's those sort of political elements too. And it's my podcast. I can get up on my soapbox if I want. I, I just think it sucks that our kids are caught in the middle of this and that it, it's left to parents to have to make these decisions with a little bit of risk, right? Because if I'm like, hey, my kid just isn't going to have to do that today. Does that mean I'm going to get a call from family services at some point? Because I gave my kid too many days off in a row or in total. And also there's always that pressure of, is my kid going to fall behind? Or are they not going to fall behind and all that stuff, which I have maintained is ridiculous as a perspective this entire time, because all of the kids are falling behind. And if everyone is falling behind, no one is falling behind. We're just ending up in different places, which is going to make next year really hard for teachers because you're going to have kids with vastly different skill sets. But that stuff's probably hiding in there too. And I'm not putting that on you. I'm taking it off of you and putting it on me. So circling back to kind of the the social emotional stuff and the productivity stuff of this, how are you doing? How is this impacting you as a teacher and as a person? Well, I can say as far as my career goes, I've never sat down at work as much in my life. I'm used to being on my feet all day long, you know, bouncing around from desk to desk. And now I'm just like, I'm just stuck in a seat. And that's, first of all, difficult. Aside from that, it is extremely hard. The planning that has to go into it, as we were saying earlier, to take something that I would normally do and have to then transfer it to how am I going to reach these students online? I'm working easily two hours, if not more, a day. And that's not even talking about the weekend. I'm talking Monday through Friday. School's over at 2.15 and I take a little break. And then I'm usually working till about five o'clock at night. And that's planning lessons. That's not even considering correcting. So it's, it's taken a lot. And I think I'm doing my best. And I know teachers are doing their best. And sometimes it feels like it's still not enough. What one small piece of advice is get yourself a standing desk. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, that that's where I am right now. I'm standing up. It helps because you're just not sitting as much. And also it lets you like, I can kind of fidget around and move my feet a little bit when I need to. Worst case scenario, it gets like a little bit quieter on the mic for a second because I moved. But that's a way, if you're sick of sitting, I have, I don't even have a standing desk. I have, um, I forget what it's called, but it's like a thing you put on your desk there's like hydraulics and you can raise it up and down. I can change how high it is. I haven't since I put it on. It's just at my height, but that might be a way to not have to sit as much. <laughs> I, might, I might look into it. I'll also say though, for like the kids too, just going back to like thinking um, when they're, they're doing the lessons and the pacing, I, I try to find the middle ground because I know some kids will fly through the work and I know some kids are going to need all class period and then they'll probably need more even with supports. So I really try to be mindful of that as far as having extension activities. And some of those extension activities are not related to my subject whatsoever. They're like, here's a five minute yoga video, go do this. Or, you know, here's a stretching exercise or just different movement breaks and activities because I mean, they are used to sitting a lot more when they're in the school, but I think at home, there are so many distractions and it's so easy to just get stuck. It does get hard, right? They are sitting a lot. And this sends me down like my elementary school road because elementary school teachers who have those kids all day, 
do a really good job of recognizing these kids are like in the same desk all day or are doing a video internet thing right like we are now all day and because they're aware of that and because schools have evolved in a healthy way in recent years they build in those movement breaks where they're doing yoga and they're doing brain breaks and all that stuff in middle school and high school you don't see that in the same way because you've only got these kids for 45 minutes an hour i'm gonna guess depending on the class period yeah between 50 minutes and an hour so you kind of cognitively know that they've been sitting for the last three hours, but not really. And in middle school, there is a little bit of a break every hour because you get up and you go to the next class, right? You have like five minutes at this point of like, talk to your buddy for a second and then zip off the class. Maybe you hit your locker, but they're not even getting that anymore if they're just on a screen and then clicking to the next link to go to the next subject. It's pretty awesome that you're building in the yoga. Thanks. When we do have... uh the way my team has set up our schedule, we have 15 minute screen breaks after each class. So we do have a little bit of time. We say, you know, get up, get a drink of water. You don't have to log into your next class class until 15 minutes after the previous one ends. And I will say that's something that I really hope stays. <laughs> I don't know how they'd manage it so much in the middle school, but it's, it's just such a nice break, even for me as a teacher to not one class leaves, the other one's rolling in, change gears, new students, who needs what? And then just kind of rattle on with the lesson. Do you know what they're doing during those 15 minutes? Do you have any sort of mechanism to? No idea. They could be taking a nap, you know? (laughs) I feel like whatever it is that they need to do, again, some of them might be checking on siblings or older grandparents that they're living with. Some of them might be going to have breakfast. That might be a useful thing to find out. And I'm not saying you should do it. Maybe the guidance counselor does it. But talking to the kids about how are you using those 15 minutes because I bet a lot of them aren't using them in a way that's useful, that's as powerful and, re- and renewing as it could be. And your extension activities with the yoga and, and just moving around, providing them with those sorts of ideas might help some of the kids make a better use of those 15 minutes. Absolutely. And, you know, I think they, they definitely need it. And I'm really happy to see that a lot of them do take advantage of those things. So when they're in my class and they do finish and I can see what they're doing on their screen when they're done their work, there are like online puzzles that they can be solving or I have meditation and I have yoga up there and I can see them. I don't see the student, but I can see that they're accessing that YouTube site and they're, the yoga is playing or whatever. So it's nice to see that some of them do realize that they need it, but I think more of them could benefit from it. How is all this going down for your special ed kids? That is one of the biggest challenges. I have special ed students in two different classes, and one of them, they require more instruction. They require more scaffolding and more modifications than the other. And those are the students that are struggling the most. Those are my students who I'm losing, who I have a special ed teacher in the class with me, and we'll do breakout rooms. So I work a lot with her, we'll modify the lessons, and then she'll go into a breakout room with those students. And, you know, whatever it is, she'll read the chapter, go over the vocabulary, whatever it is we're doing for the day. And some of them are involved, but some of them, the the distractions that are happening at home, and so many of them are ADHD as it is, they're just so unfocused that they can't, I mean, they'd be unfocused if they were in the classroom on a regular day, let alone at their home with who knows what going on around them, and then trying to access the curriculum or pay attention. Those are the ones who are struggling the most. Are there any specific 
interventions that you're finding are working for those kids? I think one of the biggest things that um, has been successful is using the screen share through Zoom and having them do the split screen on their Chromebooks and then they can see you know, what we're doing on one screen. Like if we were writing an essay or filling out a worksheet using Kami, which is another add-on that you can do and kind of type into a worksheet. If they can see us doing it, then they can kind of mirror what we're doing. And I find that to be the most helpful. And then again, like um, read aloud, something that they can access, not just like with me reading a text to them, but if the text can actually be read to them at their own pace, that is really helpful because they can always go back to it. Whereas if I was just reading it, then they're stuck with the grade level text that they're struggling to access on their own anyway. What about the parents? Are there any strategies that you're seeing parents using that you're like, I want all the parents to do this because we can tell them right now. (laughs) That's a really good question. And I wish I had an answer. (laughs) No, um, I mean, the the biggest thing is, I, I guess this is the same though for a regular school year is having the parents involved, you know, making sure that if they're, they have questions that they're reaching out to the teacher. In middle school, I think it's a little bit trickier just because the students, especially in eighth grade, they want to be independent. They want to do things on their own. They don't want their parents involved. So I think that's part of um, a lot of what I'm seeing. I, I guess the biggest thing, if I could, if I had to think of something, was make sure they have a space that is dedicated just to their schooling and their work. You don't know how many students log into Zoom from their bed. And I'm like, come on. <laughs> and, and I've had students fall asleep in class. I'm like, well, that's because you were in your bed. <laughs> so just being mindful of time, do you have any ending essentials that you'd like to share with our audience? I guess through all of this, people need to take time for themselves. And that's something, I don't know if it's for the audience or more of something that I try to tell myself. Sometimes you need to know when to put the brakes on and say, okay, you know what, either I need a mental health day or I need to stop doing this so I can have 30 minutes dedicated to what I want to do. Because I feel like that's something that's getting lost for teachers, parents, students, everyone. Hey, you're still here. Nice. Thanks for staying focused all the way through. If you have any thoughts or questions about today's episode, feel free to email me at brendan at ADHDessentials.com. And don't forget to check out the website, ADHDessentials.com, and visit our Facebook community. I'm looking forward to talking to you again next week. In the meantime, keep focusing on improvement over perfection. 10% better is all you need.